0: Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Braxton Hunter, and this is Trinity Radio. Today we're going to be taking a look at a discussion slash debate between Matt Dillahunty and Dinesh D'Souza. This was a really fun and energetic discussion or debate. Uh, both of the presenters are very good public speakers. In fact, uh, Dinesh D'Souza, back in, say, 2008, 2009, became a somewhat of a popular apologist of sorts. I don't think we would put him in the same category as other um, apologists, but, but he had several debates with Christopher Hitchens and um, Daniel Dennett and perhaps others, and they were very exciting, enjoyable to listen to. He isn't afraid to get a little bit snarky, just like Matt Dillahunty is not afraid to get a little bit snarky and uh, seemed to have a relatively good ga- grasp on history and some of the history of philosophy, and that always made for a good discussion. So I was very excited to see this debate, and I will say, it's a fun debate. It's enjoyable to listen to, and they cover a range of topics, um, more topics uh, than you would typically get in one of the standard, does God exist type debates. However, um, if this were a formal debate, which it was not, and if we were to declare a winner, which we can't, I think, and this may come as a surprise, that Matt Dillahunty won this debate. I think that that's pretty should be pretty clear to most of the people who watch it. If you disagree with me, I'd love to hear in the comments why you disagree with me. And let me tell you what I don't th- mean by that. I don't think that means that Matt Dillahunty was right. I think in most of what he said, I probably sided with Dinesh D'Souza with the exception of um, I, I don't know enough to know about the climate change issue, and we'll get to my comments on that when we get there. Um, and it also doesn't mean that I think that Dinesh didn't have good points. In fact, I think that he did. The problem, as I perceive it with Dinesh, is Dinesh's approach was not fully orbed. In a couple of cases, I felt like he was heading in the right direction, and then he just sort of stopped and somewhat granted what Matt was saying. And so uh, I think that's a problem. So the best way to go about this would be to jump right in and begin looking at the content and see what we get from it. But um, as we look at it, here is what I understand Dinesh's approach to be, and let's see if you agree with this or if you think it's borne out in the discussion. I've written this down. This is not his words, but it's my summary. I think that Dinesh is saying something like, It is not unreasonable to believe in what cannot be proven, because we do that with many things and must, partly because there is much at stake. It is not unreasonable to believe in what cannot be proven because we do uh, that with many things and must, we must do that, partly because there is so much at stake. So let's see if you think that is how this went. But as we begin, let's take a look at, now we can't look at the whole thing, this thing's like two hours long, but what we are going to do is we're going to look at a few segments. Um, toward the end, that go off about some specifically political stuff that doesn't really interest me. And universal health care and things like that, things like that. But we're gonna take a look here at uh, where they begin talking a little bit about an interesting subject, the subject of abortion.
1: The, the title of this event, when it was being promoted and everything, is God, Trump, and the Future of America. So, uh, I, I, I mean, basically. Trump would probably like
2: to switch the order of those. Yes. Uh, but nevertheless. I would like to
1: remove one of them. I but, thought, wait, God, I know. Yeah. I No, remove one from the discussion. I, well, the other one I, I don't need to remove because I don't have any reason to think he exists, but the discussion is good. Well, don't you make your life talking about him? I, I do spend a lot of time talking about him. Would you like if I have spent my life talking about unicorns? It would be, except that you don't live in a world where the overwhelming majority of people believe in unicorns and are trying to legislate what other people can do based on what they think unicorns want.
2: Sach, what's the what, name?
1: What is, since since we're into it,
0: <laughs> this is how it goes. By the way, I think that's a fair point from Matt's perspective. If you don't think that God exists, uh, you might find it important to talk about the existence of God. Uh, I, I know it's quite popular for Christians to say things like, um, like what Dinesh has just said, frankly. But um, people, he's right that people are not making major life decisions and voting. Unto our leaders and laws on the basis of what uh, their beliefs about a unicorn that may or may not exist, um, but issues of religion do come into it to some extent. But I think what we see next is a is a pretty good uh, tempering of that. Goes
2: yeah. What is a specific, concrete example of someone trying to do that? Of trying to of uh, uh, well, somebody who says God told me X, and I want you, Matt therefore to do why? Oh, it's who says that? Is, who takes that position that you are spending your life fighting?
1: Sure, so I, I, are we in any way suggesting that there's not a particularly loud and well-financed fundamentalist religious right who are stacking the courts in accordance with their ideology which is influenced from, by their religious things? I have, like I have family members who are primarily single issue voters like if there's two candidates and one is uh, you know set out to end abortion and the other one's not that's the only thing that matters to them and so I think it puts people in a position where they're probably voting against their own best interests
2: can you name I mean just uh, just pursuing this to see what we're talking about can you name a single Supreme Court Justice who in your opinion does not arrive at their judgments for any constitutional or jurisprudential or moral or philosophical reason, but simply consults a divine oracle in order to make a ruling.
1: Can you name one of them? Oh, no, 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 I'm not not in any way suggesting people don't genuinely have these beliefs, it's just that if if people's views, like people within, all of them, whether they're Supreme Court justices or not, they're going to have particular views on how the way the world's gonna work, you and I are. And there are people, I have no idea if you're one of them, uh, there are people whose view on how the world should work should be, everything should be working in accordance with my understanding of this deity. Well,
2: l- let's, take a, let's take an example, because I think this ta- the discussion can become kind of airy if we don't pin it down. Okay. Let's talk about abortion. Sure. Okay.
1: Did you know, for example, that Christopher Hitchens was pro-life? Uh, I know, for example, that Christopher Hitchens was not pro-life. Well... He was... So there's two different there's two different aspects of this Uh, first of all It doesn't matter what Hitchens believed in the first place, but he wasn't against he wasn't in favor of making it illegal And my primary issue when it comes to like abortion is the legality not whether or not somebody thinks it's immoral or not
2: I interviewed Hitchens years ago for a magazine and we talked about this issue And he made what I thought was an interesting point coming from an atheist perspective which was, he said, look, it's one thing if you say that you believe in Hindu reincarnation in which we have many different lives. Or if you believe that there is a life to come in which if you happen to be terminated in the womb, you're going to go to life everlasting. He goes, I don't believe any of that. I believe we have one life. This is it. This is the only one. And and so ultimately, it is the greatest value. And if you have a life that is coming into being, and it's snuffed out, all its choices interrupted at the outset. He goes, you got to think before you do that, right? Now, uh, let's leave the legality issue, because I think the abortion debate has become radicalized since Hitchens died. Whether Hitchens would have supported late-term abortion, we don't really know. But what I'm trying to say is that here is Hitchens. And and I don't really care. You don't really care. But the point I'm trying to make is this. You're saying that religious people apply a worldview Right. And I'm saying,
1: you do too. Hitchens right. yeah. does too. All of us have a worldview. I'm not, de- I, I, I think I just said that, like, three okay. ago. The issue is whether or not, so if somebody's saying that their worldview is right because it comes from the divine and there's no demonstration that, A, there is anything divine or that they have any good understanding of what the divine would want, then I would hope that we would agree that that is at least a fallacious appeal to an authority that can't be demonstrated.
2: Well, but I would argue that that, First of all, none of us in America conducts a voting test.
0: All right, so I know that was a rather long clip, but I think it was important because here is an example of where I see Dinesh heading in the right direction but then goes off the rails. So he's saying, all right, you think that this is a major problem, this this god belief because people vote based on their religious beliefs and that affects things and they put you know, they put supreme court justices based on religious beliefs. And so it really does have this major effect. Now, whether that's true in other areas or not, Dinesh raises a really good um a really good counter, which is the abortion issue. And he begins to go in the right direction. Now, Matt seems to think that, well, the abortion issue is a good example of, of something that people hold that abortion is wrong because of religious reasons and blah, blah, blah. Um, he brings up the issue of a single issue voter because of abortion. Um, and then Dinesh D'Souza says, well, it might interest you that Christopher Hitchens didn't like abortion, and here's why. Um, and what, was, what is the obvious trajectory there? The obvious trajectory there is Christopher Hitchens was an atheist like you, Matt, and yet Christopher Hitchens didn't believe in abortion, so this isn't specifically a religious thing. Abortion is a much bigger issue that doesn't necessarily hinge on whether there's a God or what you think the Bible might say about this or anything like that. That is a perfectly reasonable approach to take. Um, if I was an atheist— I would still be very much pro-life. Um, and and so that's a good way to go. Why? Well, aside from the fact that a- atheism, properly speaking, must, be, must give you a subjective morality, so I guess it, you could still do whatever you want technically anyway, no one really thinks like that or operates like that. They do what Matt does, where they construct um, a framework and then say, okay, here's the framework for my morality that I have subjectively... Uh, come up with. And there's a subjectively stated goal within that framework. And now, objectively, if you want to get to that goal in this subjective framework, here's what you got to do. Okay, so to so say it's kind of an objective morality, but it's not, it's still the foundations of that still subjective. But but since everybody operates that way, they do try to live as though morality is objective. Um, and I probably would too if I was an atheist, what, what, I, would, what I would do is I'd still be pro-life because here's the, here's the problem. When it comes to the issue of abortion, I'm not going to make this whole thing about abortion, but I am going to explain why this is the case and why it's not and shouldn't be specifically a religious issue is be, and certainly shouldn't be a political issue, is that um, abortion is... Uh, we're, so there's no question that this is, a human, that this is human life. Uh, Christopher Hitchens understood this Peter Singer understands this that when you scientifically speaking if you want to go with science scientifically speaking you have male human biological material that combines with biological material from the female the sperm and the egg this is biological material or living material and then when it comes together it creates a new arrangement of biological living material and it's not goat biological material. It's human biological material, and it's alive. This is life. This is new human life. Now, you might say something like, okay, but my skin cells that I fluff off, however many of them every day, is human life. You wouldn't consider that to be something akin to abortion. No, but here's the thing. So at some point along the way, most people, including many in the pro-choice community, would say at some point during development, this Um, entity, this collection of cells ceases to merely be a collection of cells either at some particular stage of cognition uh, or independence from like it could survive if it was cut off from the mother. At some point along the way, this becomes a person. It's not that it becomes a human. It's a human being already from the moment of conception. The question is, at what point does it become a person? This is personhood. This is not a scientific discussion, by the way. Personhood is in the domain of philosophy. So what are you gonna do with that information? Well, if you're an atheist and you don't believe in God, then you, you still would have to say, okay, at what point during that process are we gonna assign personhood? This is where some people get tripped up and think this is a scientific question. So they say something like, well, uh, we know that at this particular point it's got consciousness, or at this particular point, it, um, I don't know, ha- feels pain, and so that's the moment. But that's an arbitrarily decided point why is that the moment that it becomes a person um, scientifically? All you could say is that's the point where it's conscious or that's the point where it's um, experiencing pain or, or has some other capability or structure. And so what you w- what you have to do then what you're doing then is you are subjectively and somewhat arbitrarily, even if not entirely arbitrarily, deciding on when that becomes a person. Now, if you don't know for sure, at what point it actually is a person, this is a philosophical question, not a scientific one, you're just guessing. And that means that at any moment on the scale, from, from birth uh, back all the way to the moment of conception, you can't know for sure whether this should be considered a person or not considered a person. And so at, that means that you are taking a risk that you may be okay with, but I don't think any thinking, empathetic person at all who has any level of moral uh, moral concern, understanding what I've just said, should be okay with making that judgment call. And, and it meaning you could be committing murder, the killing of a person, the unjust killing of a person. That's a serious, serious issue. Um, And it's not a religious; It doesn't have to be a religious one. And so for that reason, that was a great path to take, I think, that D'Souza was taking. Uh, And so, you know, by the way, in case you're interested, we do have videos on this. I love uh, the sled argument of Stephen Shorts where he says, look, there are only a few ways in which a fetus uh, is unlike um, or different from uh, a fully grown adult human being. And that is their size, but there are various sizes of people who are already born, their location in the womb instead of outside of the womb. But there are people in all kinds of locations. And in no other area of life do we decide that someone is worth more or worth less based on their location. That would be incredibly bigoted. Um, envi- uh, their environment um, size. No, no, no. L is level of development. Their level of development uh, but my daughter, who's, who's uh, eight years old, is less developed than my daughter, who's uh, 12 years old, who's less developed than me. So uh, it would be bigoted to decide based on level of development whether a person is a person or not. Environment, there we go. Um, In the womb or out of the womb, we don't do that in any other area of life that based on your environment, you're worth more or worth less. What if we said that everyone in, 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 say, some third world country is worth less because they're in a different environment that is not as developed as ours? Um, That would be bigoted. So size, level of development, environment, um, and degree of dependence. It's dependent on the mother. Uh, But there are all kinds of situations where people are dependent upon other people. We wouldn't say they're not persons or that it's okay to kill them. So this is a great way to to approach this that doesn't have to be religious. Now, I think, again, without objective morality, it all crumbles still just the same. But nevertheless, the fact is, um, you can do this on a non-religious paradigm as non-religious people understand the parameters. Uh, So this was a great path to take, but it almost is like Dinesh Grant's I don't know if you forgot the point he was making or just got sidetracked because both of them get sidetracked at different points. It's That's the nature of a discussion versus a debate, and that's perfectly fine and understandable. I would probably have too. Nevertheless, it's almost left like D'Souza is granting what uh, Dillahunty is saying when I think he was making a really good point, off toward making a really good point. All right, next clip this is a little bit further down the line, and they are talking about now the issue of uh let's see god so now they've come to god and matt Dillahunty's going to ask him maybe you can do what others have not done and give me a good reason to believe that a god exists
1: okay and on the god front i'm maybe you have something better than anybody else has come up what is the ra- what is the reasonable warrant for accepting that there's a god at all
2: okay uh, let me try to answer that um I start with the fact that here we are, flung into the world, with no clear understanding of A, where the universe came from, not the earth, but the universe, B, why we're here and what the purpose of our life is, and C, what, if anything, happens to us after we die? I would argue that... So we are in a very peculiar position where human beings were flung into the world, and the three of the most important questions we could possibly ask, we have no answer
1: to. No? Now. Now I'm going to agree on. with you. Do you, you, you agree, or you not? I'm going to agree with you on two of the three. The middle one on purpose, I think, assumes there's a purpose that has. There's, there's been no demonstration. There's a purpose to. What assume.
2: if any purpose
1: we have for our sure. life?
2: Okay. So now we are in agreement that on the three cardinal questions we are in a certain kind of blindness. We're in a certain kind of blind ignorance. Because we don't know, correct?
1: So I, I don't, so if we start, you're saying we're flung into this universe without an understanding of the origin of the universe, the purpose of life, or what the, happens afterwards.
2: Right, where the universe came from, yes. who, if anyone, or sure. what made it, if anyone, B, what the purpose of our life is, if any, and C, what, if anything, happens to us after we die.
1: We are in violent agreement right now. Perfect.
2: Now the second question arises, What does science have to say about these three questions? Can science, either now, and if it can't now, settle these matters in the future? Let's look at them one by one. Let's take them in reverse order. Sure. Can science decide the matter of whether or not
1: there is life after death, yes or no? Uh, It it depends. Depends on what? So, science only deals with uh, the natural world. Correct. And so, if in fact there's a supernatural existence after this, then it may forever be beyond the purview of science.
2: Correct. Or if there is another universe that operates according to different laws and we happen to move somehow into that universe, science would have nothing to say about it, correct? No, because not
1: necessarily, because, because okay. if, it's a, if it's a natural, you know, like we have like hypotheses about a multiverse or whatever. Correct. I can't say what science will be able to test for in the future or whether or not there we are permanently confined to the cosmos that we experience. I can't say. I can't even rule out, I can't say that science could never say anything about the supernatural. All I can say is that as it stands right now, I'm unaware of any supernatural claim that has any evidence for it that science could evaluate to determine that it was true. So,
2: right, let's put it a little differently because, because we, I don't want to debate the detail here. I just want to look at the macro picture and what I'm basically saying is Shakespeare said, I think correctly, death is the undiscovered country. No one has been to the other side of the curtain and, and essentially reported, given us empirical evidence
1: one way or the other, correct? We well, don't know what happens I after don't, death. So, True? so Here's the thing and I promise I'm not being difficult, this is just, just for clarity. Um, as a skeptic, my position is not, you know, like when the... the, the psychics who claim that they're speaking with the dead um my position is not they're wrong and that's bullshit my position is they cannot demonstrate that what they're actually doing is what they claim and so i can't say nobody's been to the other side and communicated back i can just say there's no
0: Okay, now, the problem with this, this is, this, some people might consider this to be mean nitpicking a little bit to Souza. And I promise you, I've got criticisms of Matt that we're going to come to momentarily. But this is a major problem here. No Orthodox Christian should ever say no one has gone to the other side and come back to report it to us. Without at least making the caveat, maybe someone did in the first century in Israel. Because the reality is that is the central claim of the Christian message. And so now you say, well, yeah, but we can't verify that. Well, that's, of course, up for discussion, right? Uh, But the fact that uh, a a Christian, someone who claims to be a Christian, and and I don't doubt him, would say something like that is uh, surprising. What, What do you mean nobody's ever gone to the other side and come back? Nevertheless, let's keep trucking. No. Oh, and on that point, Matt is a little bit more hospitable to Christianity than D'Souza seems to be. Now, again, I don't. Th- I think if I was on stage and said that, D'Souza would say something. Oh, well, yeah, of course, yeah, Jesus. B- nevertheless, um, it's very interesting because. Dylan he's saying, I'm not going to say no one's come to the other side and come back. I'm just going to say we can't demonstrate it or whatever. Uh, that's like almost more hospitable to the Christian message than what D'Souza said. But, but look, uh, I doubt D'Souza will ever see this, but if you do, D'Souza, I get it. Uh, it. Maybe it was an oversight.
1: Reliable evidence for it, and I don't know what shape that evidence would take in order to demonstrate that.
2: Okay, I want to come back to that because that you've now made to me a very striking claim Namely, that we should—I think you're saying—disbelieve all claims for which there is not sufficient evidence. So, not I, not just that we should pro- take an agnostic
1: position, but we should disbelieve them. That's two different right, things. Oh, so if you mean disbelieve as in believe they are not true, that's the exact opposite of what I just said. Okay. What I said was. We should believe things when there's evidence for it, and that is both the proposition that the supernatural is real and the proposition that the supernatural is not real. Okay. You can, so agnosticism isn't some middle ground between believing X and believing not X. There is no middle ground. You are either convinced of X or you are not convinced of X. And I'm, I'm not convinced that the supernatural is real. That doesn't mean that I'm convinced that the supernatural isn't real. It's kind of like if you go into a courtroom. Okay. I, can, I, I may have to say not guilty even if I'm not convinced of innocence because the burden of proof is on the claim of guilt. And so the people who say, I have good evidential warrant to believe in the supernatural have adopted a burden of proof, and they have to meet it. And until they do, I am not convinced.
2: Okay, but let's let's be clear about what that burden of proof is because I'm not saying I have definitive proof that God exists or these are his attributes. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying I don't know if there is a God in the sense of no i call myself a believer. Now, right away, we distinguish between a believer and a knower, right?
0: Sure, it's, it's an important distinction. Is a
2: I believe there's a place called Papua New Guinea.
0: Now, I, I realize this is a long clip, and we're almost done with this clip, but we are coming to the first of several analogies in this discussion. And in my opinion, analogies become a major problem. Now, this one is another example of where I think Dinesh is headed in the right direction. But then somehow either because he got distracted or whatever, or just doesn't believe what I believe about these things, about the evidence, he kind of drops it. And, and it, it's so frustrating because it's like, no, that was a great analogy. You were almost there, but then you gave up. So listen to this about Papua New Guinea. He says, I believe there's a Papua New Guinea.
2: Because I trust maps and I've studied about it. Uh, and, uh, but I know my brother. I wouldn't say I believe I have a brother, because I know the guy. So
1: knowledge... Are you saying you don't know that there's a Papua New Guinea?
2: No, I'm saying, I'm saying I, I, I know it in the sense that I accept the authorities from which I learn about it. Sure. I, I trust it. Well, and for, if I for went clarity, there, it's not
1: just relying on authorities. It's actual evidence. So you have a belief in a proposition. Right. Whether or not it qualifies as knowledge is a separate question, because knowledge is a subset of belief. In philosophy, it would be justified true belief. I tend to use a more kind of colloquial, because... I'm a teleton, I'm an uneducated oaf who just talks a lot. But if you have a proposition and you accept that it's true, that's all I mean when I say I believe it. You either accept it or you don't. If I say I know it, all we generally mean, all most people mean when they say I know something is that they really, 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 really believe it. They're talking about the confidence level that they have in that proposition, that it is likely true. And when we say I know something, generally we're saying I believe this to the extent that it would be worldview-altering to discover it was wrong, and so I believe there's a Papua New Guinea. I would actually argue that I know I have evidential warrant that there's a Papua New Guinea without actually without actually ever having been there. This is you know people used to do the uh, oh well you you don't know there's an Australia well I do now because I've been there, but even before I was there, I think that I had evidential warrant for it. Yeah, but but. <clears throat>
2: OK, I agree with that. I, and I know that there's a Papua New Guinea in that sense. Let's sure. take a different example. If let's say I were to tell you. I'm-
0: OK, so so now here, here's the here's the problem with this. He grants Dillahunty's point. He's he's OK. Yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah, I know that there's a Papua New Guinea. It's not really that I don't have good evidence and reasons enough to claim that I know. But he he was often running with a really great example. What I would have said to Matt at this point is, I'd say, if I came up with this Papua New Guinea illustration, I would say, look, okay, um, we have really good evidence to believe there's a Papua New Guinea, even though we haven't actually experienced it by going there. Um, uh, you and I. Uh, but I could say, you know, I was in Australia last year, and I talked with a missionary who lived in Papua New Guinea for many, many years, and she talked with me for about an hour about her experiences in Papua New Guinea. I have seen maps. I've seen where it is. I've seen segments of videos and documentaries about it. I know a few facts culturally about Papua New Guinea. I've never heard any good reason to believe that all of that is a conspiracy or anything like that. I haven't, it's not just that I haven't heard a good reason. I've not heard any reason to think that that's the case. And so there's, there's, there's all. All kinds of good evidence that points me to believe that this place that I've never been to and never seen in person with my own eyes actually does exist. Now, what I'm saying is I have really good evidence and reason to believe that Papua New Guinea exists even though I've never seen it. And I have really good evidence and reason to believe that God exists even though I've never seen God. So I have evidence for Papua New Guinea, even if it doesn't reach the level of Cartesian certainty. And I have evidence for God that even if it doesn't reach the level of Cartesian certainty, but it's a different type of evidence. But frankly, in some ways, the evidence for God is stronger than the evidence for Papua New Guinea. In some ways, the evidence for Papua New Guinea might seem stronger than the evidence for God. Well, let me give you an example. When it comes to Papua New Guinea, I do have maps. I have, you know, I have visual certainty when I have, you know, footage and things like that um, when it and I don't have that for God. That's true. But what I do have with God is, first of all, I think it is the case that I have some level of actual personal experience with this. Uh, one of the, and could I be mistaken about that? I suppose I could, but that counts for something. For those who are believers who have that experience, it counts for a lot. But that's not all I'm going to say. Set that aside for a minute. And if you don't like it, then ignore that one for a moment. One thing that we share with both of these things is testimony. I have testimony of people who've gone to Papua New Guinea. I have testimony from the first century about people who claim they saw the risen Christ. I have the testimony of like 98% of the world uh, and the history of the world that people have had experiences of some God or some supernatural experience of one kind or another. Um, And on top of that, I also have, and this is where the evidence I think gets a little more powerful than the evidence for Papua New Guinea I with Papua New Guinea, I have all these things external to myself that I do have to look to to kind of uh, formulate some sort of a a reason to believe that Papua New Guinea exists or or something external to me that goes in through my senses. With the existence of God, the philosophical arguments, I can run a deductive argument in my head um, and I can come to conclusions about the need for a cause for the beginning of the universe and what that cause must be like. Um, That's why I like the Kalam cosmological argument is everything you need to understand it and to run it is accessible in your right with what most people already know, uh, with just a minuscule amount of education. Um, And it's all accessible right there with the design argument, with a good teleological argument. The evidence Papua New Guinea is out there somewhere. The evidence for design is not only all around me every time i open my eyes but my eyes themselves my physical body the, the the physical structures of myself are are a part of that design argument and so it's it's immediately accessible and to that extent that's a better evidence for god than i have for papua new guinea so you see there are these kinds of things uh that that are evidences for god and then there are evidences for Papua New Guinea. They're just different kinds of evidence. In neither case do they get to the level of Cartesian certainty. I mean, it is actually, the could be the case, though I find it completely uncompelling. It could be the case that with Papua New Guinea, there is some grand conspiracy and there isn't a Papua New Guinea. I don't believe that for a second. I'm quite sure that there's a Papua New Guinea. But is it theoretically possible? That is to say, um, could it be a conspiracy? I suppose with the, with the situation about God, it, that's not available to me because I can run these arguments from where I'm at and I have access to the evidence immediately all around me. And so in some ways, the evidence for God is better than the evidence for Papua New Guinea. Um, in some ways, the evidence for Papua New Guinea might seem better than the evidence for God. But in either case, what we have here is evidence— that just doesn't reach the level of Cartesian certainty. Now, on the other hand, it's just different kinds of evidence. That's all we're talking about. There's evidence in both cases, just different kinds of evidence. And what Dillahunty wants to do is to cull away evidence that doesn't fit certain things that he likes. As, we've, as we saw in the uh, debate response to his debate with um, uh, Tyler Vella, what we saw there was I ran through every time or several times that he's talked about this, and what he's talked about, at least in one case, is it needs to be repeatable and all these other kind of things that that kind of match scientific examination, even if it's not science per se. This is why in my debate with him, I said, you're looking for a scientific demonstration or something kind of science-y. And he said, I think he said yes. So so this but if so your your epistemology is the problem. I've said this so many times about Matt. And it's true about atheism today in general of this type is you're culling away the types of you're you're constructing an epistemology that does not allow for or discriminates against at the very least the types of evidence that would get you to god's existence or to the supernatural that's a major problem but what we saw from dinesh here is he gave up on that analogy which i thought was a great analogy it seems like what he was trying to say is look i believe in papua new guinea even though I've never been there, and I believe in heaven, even though I've never been there. Um, fair enough. But what Matt, I think, was was pressing is, yeah, but it's not as though you don't have any good reason to believe in Papua New Guinea. And so Dinesh is, oh, yeah, okay. No, what Dinesh should have said is, right, and guess what? I have good reason to believe in God, too, and the existence of heaven. So um, I thought that was a ball dropped, unfortunately. Now what we're going to come to is, well, I'll reserve my comments.
2: Now, let me ask you this question. What do you do about belief when you are in exactly this position? When, if something is true, it would have tremendous implications. For example, you would concede that if there was life after death, that would
1: greatly affect the way we think about life on Earth now. it it would depending on what that life looked like and depending on whether or not anything in this life had any impact on that life
2: correct but but, But, yes so so let's just say if the religious narratives are correct and there is some sort of cosmic justice in which let's just say the the crimes that are the undiscovered crimes of this life have to be accounted for in a future life we would probably have to start thinking about all the stuff that we get away with in private because even though we escape human accounting, there would be some sort of presumably divine accounting. So in other words, all I'm trying to establish is that there's a relevance to these questions, even if we don't definitively know anything about them, anything about the answer, the answer
1: matters, which way we go. I I agree the answer matters, it's just that the answer right now is I don't know, and you can play the what if game for any one of them. What if there's nothing? What if it's the end? What if there's a being who's gonna judge you based on whether or not you fell for things without sufficient evidence what if so, that's the criteria
2: okay so what you seem to so what you seem to say is i think about something and if i really can't answer the question right i take the default position that that something doesn't exist until evidence shows up that's going to convince me it does of course that's, that's your
0: Okay, now we're going to follow this further because it's uh, we're about to get to some more analogies. But what I want to say about this is Dinesh is again setting up a really good point, I think, and this one he follows through with. It's kind of like Pascal's Wager, but I don't think that's exactly what Dinesh is intending to do with it in general. But it's 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 kind of got some affinities with the central theme behind Pascal's Wager as it's traditionally understood. Pascal's Wager being the idea that if you don't know whether to believe in God or not, then you should err on the side of believing because it's safer to believe than not to, basically. There's more at stake if you don't believe, and the criticisms of this typically are, well, yeah, but um, how could I ever err on the side of caution if there are multiple religions on offer? And so I've classically used uh, Pascal's wager to say, if there's that much at stake, you should take the evidence very seriously. But so there is a new form, a, a newer form of Pascal's wager that says something like, if you believe already that the evidence, it, the evidence in favor of say Christianity is at least fifty percent, like if it gets as high as at least fifty percent, well then it, it's in the realm of possibly being true on par with it not being true, you should go ahead and err on the side of caution and accept it. Okay, but th- there are criticisms that come to that too. Namely, is that the sort of belief that God is looking for, the just-in-case sort of belief? But all that aside, that's not really the primary emphasis here. What Dinesh is saying is, look, you d- okay, we don't know for sure about um, the afterlife. We don't know for sure about a judgment. They we get these religions saying there's a judgment and there's this um, uh, the hellish place that, that it comes after and all that kind of thing, some religions. And so it's worth you taking this very, very seriously and making a decision instead of staying stuck in this space of, I don't know, because there is much at stake. Now, Again, I summarized what I think that Dinesh D'Souza is saying throughout this whole thing as, it is not unreasonable to believe in what cannot be proven because we do that with many things and must, partly because there is much at stake. I think that's a fair expression of what Dinesh is saying. Now, I want you to remember that because that is going to come up later. And while I think that is a fair consideration, I mean, think about it. Every one of you who's watching this, atheist or not, is on a freight train headed for a brick wall. And it could happen today. It could happen 10 years from now. It could happen 30 years from now, depending on your age. But at some point, you are all going to die. We are all going to die. And so as a result, you take this, number one, very, very seriously, and many of you have. Because of what's at stake, it makes it all the more serious that we take it that way. And, 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 Dinesh would say, and he's going to say here in a moment, since you already come to believe many things and you, you make decisions about the future based on things you don't know and certainly don't know for sure, since you already do that with things where the stakes are much less, you definitely ought to do it with this. And at the very least, it's not unreasonable when people do it like this. Um, so that's, we're setting up with that. Now we're going to come back to that because I suspect Matt is going to pull something very similar back on Dinesh. And I don't think either one of them noticed it. so we're going to come to that in just a few moments. But first we're going to have fun with analogies with Matt and Dinesh, because what we're going to see here is as Dinesh tries to bear out what I've just said, we're going to see first Matt and then with another analogy, Dinesh doing something that is very common in these kinds of discussions, that is a pet peeve of mine, and that is when people attack the analogy instead of the point of the analogy. I don't think either of them intended to do that, although I think sometimes people do intend to do it because it gets them, they think it gets them off the hook of the analogy because now we're talking about something else. I don't think that's what's going on here, but I will say what I do think is going on here is both of them attack the analogy instead of the point of the analogy Matt does it first with the analogy that Dinesh raises. Let's listen.
1: What's your view? That is sound epistemology that... Accepting sound epistemology according to whom? Uh, according uh, to you. Sure, Ac- okay. We'll just go according to me because I don't need to cite anybody else. Right. Because I'm right. Because... <laughs> the, okay, hold on, hold on. Let's, 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 let's see because if you're right. You're, let's see uh, if you're right. The alternative would be to to say that I'm justified in believing something before there's sufficient evidence but, for it. But I would argue that you do that every day. Let me. Let's give me. Give you a cardinal example. But but that oh. doesn't change the fact whether I should.
2: You the should. I'm, I no, might, I'm saying you do. We're and all going to make mistakes. You, you do and you should. Look, our life is always lived in anticipation of an unknown future, right? You're dating a woman. Yes. And um, and so what you do is you, being a very reasonable guy, plug in all this data, mm-hmm. right, uh, about this woman, and you're trying to make a rational decision. Let's say. Is this the woman I want to spend my life with? Let's assume you're thinking about that question.
1: For the sake of your argument, we'll assume I'm thinking about that. Okay.
2: Now, I would argue that in reality, given the way human beings are, you could never really know what life with this person is going to be like let's just say over the next 30 years first of all you'll be different people in 10 years different people in 30 years so this question about what it's going to be like is unanswerable with any high degree of of certainty correct
1: Yeah, which is one of the reasons why i unlike many religions actually support the notion of divorce and and i'm opposed to the notion that there's a soulmate out there that you're going to be everything to forever if we're both in agreement that we don't know what the future holds i don't make a decision but to if you'll pardon
2: me that's that's a tediously predictable response i'm not going there where i'm going with oh, it well i the didn't fact think you were going there no because there. right where i'm really going with is the fact that in making a decision of whether or not to be with this person yes or no mm-hmm. you are necessarily taking a huge
1: Leap of faith. No. 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 See, that's the thing. The,
2: the,
1: my, the way I operate my life, and m- maybe I'm a weirdo, is so for example, in this case, I have no plans to end this relationship, and neither does she, but we are both adults, and we, as in my, my one, there were two rules be honest, have fun. That's it. That's all. Be honest, enjoy life. And as long as we're both honest, we can reevaluate the nature of our relationship at any point. I am friends with every one of my exes, including my ex-wife, who I just spoke to. We went into it with this optimism that perhaps we would spend the rest of our lives together and with the realistic notion that it doesn't happen. Anybody who, th- the divorce rates.
0: Okay. Now notice he's going off about divorce and has said, I, that's not, I'm not, I'm not going there. And Dill Hunty says, yeah, but I'm going there. And then proceeds to go on about it some more. And says he knows that Dinesh wasn't going there. So that is to attack the analogy instead of the point of the analogy. What was the point of the analogy? Fine, whatever. Don't care about your views on marriage. That's not the point. Traditionally, people have thought of marriage as a covenant, a promise that we're going to spend the rest of our lives together until death do us part, right? That's, that's, the, that's the colloquial understanding of this. You have We expect you to have different views on this. That's not the point. The point is there are things in your life and in everyone's life lives where we um, make decisions, long-term decisions, rest of our lives decisions. This is why Dinesh finally has to come to, okay, fine. You putting away money for retirement then, you know, something. There are things you do that are... decisions you make that will impact your future and there's risk involved but you do it even without having all the evidence or with knowing what's going to happen for sure because of the risk that's involved because, and that's normal and we do that all the time and so when it comes to this issue of life after death and heaven and judgment and all these kind of things the risk is even higher than whatever else because it's as high as it could ever be and so because it's as high as it could ever be Then you definitely should do this with that. If you're doing it with these other things, like marriage for most people, or with what you're doing with your retirement, where you're uh, investing, retirement investing, whatever else. And so, as a result, Matt attacks the analogy instead of the point of the analogy, and the point of the analogy is good. So I see. I think we see have an example of this. Now, again, we're going to come back to that notion in a few minutes because I think that it's going to go the other way, and Matt's going to try that same tactic on Dinesh. Nevertheless. First, we come to a moment where Dinesh butchers an analogy and it's kind of his own analogy. So let's, uh, let's pick up there now, here. They're talking about when you when you have warrant to believe something, do you have to have seen something and have visual certainty in order to, to know that something is true or that it exists?
1: I should not be reaching conclusions about what is beyond my ability to see. Okay. So let's take, for example, you've seen
2: a certain number of dogs in your life, correct? Yeah, tons of them. She okay. stops at every one. Right. Above and beyond that, you haven't seen other dogs that are outside the radius of your empirical experience. True. Correct. Do you believe in that there are other
1: dogs other than the ones you've seen? Uh, I have evidence of other dogs on Earth. If it what was mean, that evidence? I've seen video footage. I have. Okay, met but, there, but let's just
2: say the video footage. People. Let's count those among the dogs you've seen. What about the dogs you haven't seen?
1: Sure. You believe they exist on earth yes but if you tell me that I should then then believe that there are dogs on Saturn that's the level of thing we're talking about No, it's
2: not it's not absolutely not see this is the heart of the matter this is the heart of the matter because according to you religious people believe that there is a God who like in ancient Greece inhabits the natural world that's living on another planet and so your reasoning is at the level of the cosmonauts who go up into the sky and go no god up here therefore god doesn't
1: exist no that's not it.
2: well you just said that that i'm proclaiming a dog on saturn yes and i'm saying i'm not that's not what i'm doing at
1: all so if i I can only see seven stars
0: okay so so (laughs) he's raising this analogy and he's attacking dinesh is attacking the analogy rather than the point of the analogy it was his analogy (laughs) his analogy was, do you have re it's a good analogy. it's a good point. Do you have reason to believe these other dogs exist that you haven't seen or even seen on video? And uh, Dill Hunty says yes because and, and I know Dill Hunty well enough and have observed enough of him that I know that if he had more time and they talked about this issue longer, he probably would have said something like, um, it's a mundane claim. Uh, if you tell me that you have a dog at home, I, I mean, he's used that as an example. If you tell me I have a dog at home, I believe that because it doesn't strike my worldview as that odd? In, in my worldview, that's not odd. I have evidence of other dogs. It's not surprising. There'd be another dog that I don't know about. Um, so, you know, but then his Matt's point is, but if you told me there was a dog on another planet, well, now I've got questions. Now I'm skeptical. I want to see some evidence and he'd probably would say I want some extraordinary evidence because that's an extraordinary claim whatever people mean by that. So but, but, but that's where he's going with. That's his point. And, and frankly, that's not surprising. And 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 makes sense within Matt's framework, and and makes sense. I'd want to see some evidence for that, some dog on it. I don't need to see an ev- evidence that you, one of the viewers of Trinity Radio, has a dog at home. I believe that, uh, but you know. But if I same thing, if I, if you told me there was a dog on Venus or something, I'd want evidence of that. Why do you think that? Why is that true? Dinesh says, "Oh, you're trying to say that we believe in a God that is in the cosmos and lives on some other planet or something and has a dog or something, something like that." No, that's not that's not the Point, so you have both of them butchering the analogy. Uh, Dillahunty Hunty going off about marriage when that wasn't the point, and uh, D'Souza going off about dog or God is like Zeus when or whatever when that's not the point. Okay, so but now we're going to come to this point where they're talking about climate change, an issue I know very little about and am happy to admit. But something happens in this discussion that I think is very interesting. It, he never outright says it, but Dillahunty is quite convinced of the climate change issues in the way that it's popularly understood, right? Uh, the global warming. Uh, D'Souza is not. D'Souza is skeptical, and Dillahunty wants to wants to know why, right? Okay, so now now we're on the other side of the divide. Now D'Souza is the skeptic, and Dillahunty's not as skeptical, or at least he's convinced. Whether he was skeptical originally or not, I don't know but he seems convinced of this. I think it's a fair assumption from what, the way he talks. Now let's hear what, sa- what they say.
1: Climate is, it,
2: okay, well, a couple of things. First of all, the climate scientists are, and, and I think we've, this is more true of this branch of science than it is generically true. They're highly interested observers of this phenomenon. Climate science is a massively funded enterprise. It gets gigantic dollars, and the gigantic dollars are aimed at finding a predetermined conclusion. I don't think you're innocent okay. of the idea that researchers get m- huge grants. Take researchers who get huge grants from pharmaceutical companies. Take researchers e- except who
1: Except this is, this is bull. This is bull. Yes, because now the, the bulk of the world has at least Let's, let's assume that it's, that the climate change stuff is BS. The bulk of the world is bought into it and is, are, are making efforts to change things, to change the way we live our lives, mostly so we can have a life. But now, wouldn't there be more money in the people who are actually going out to debunk this? This is, this is a sort of conspiracy level thinking oh, that people no, no, raise no, no, no. about science all the time. Oh, the money is leading them towards this conclusion. There's money in anything that you can demonstrate to be true. This is why I don't buy into the big pharma conspiracy stuff of trying to keep us sick, et cetera. Okay. Because there's money in a cure. There's money in new diseases. There's money in this. There's money in that. There's money. Where's the
2: money in debunking it? Let's say I have have charts right here, and I show you. The whole thing
1: is BS. Who's going to pay me? All those people buying coastal properties that you think are hypocrites. Why would they pay me? Because now... If you can demonstrate that it's BS now their property values go up even more because now that just means they'll give the money to
2: the to the real estate agents and to the buyers. But how are they going to fund me?
0: So now I want you to notice a couple of things first here, Matt, if we're skeptical of something with science, then it's a conspiracy theory. If if uh, if he's skeptical about something to do with religion or God or pretty much anything that, that he's skeptical about, it's skepticism. But now I want you to notice something here. So in the first case, what did we have? We had we had uh, Dinesh saying, look, there, there, there are these claims about the afterlife, and the stakes are really high. So it behooves you not to sit there with, I don't know, in your skepticism, but to make a decision. Now, what is the, the, the theme here with Dillahunty? Dill Hunty said just a moment ago that the, the majority of the world has come to believe this and, and they're actively trying to resolve it, uh, partly so they can have a life. What's that mean? The stakes are really high. The stakes are high. It's not even just property values. The stakes are high. Especially if you listen to some of these people, it's already too late. And not Dill necessarily, but some climate uh, advocates cl- for climate change. It's, it's already too late. The stakes are really high. So. Why are you sitting there in your skepticism, D'Souza? You need to make a decision and not remain in your skepticism because I don't know isn't good enough because this is here and now and the stakes are high. We see this on both sides. Now, I'm not saying that Dillahunty came right out and said it that way or even that D'Souza necessarily came right out and said it that way, but that's clearly the undercurrent in both cases. Now, if I think if Dillahunty was sitting here, if he agreed with what I said to this point, which he probably wouldn't, um, I, I'm trying to represent him accurately, but judging from how how often in this discussion, he says, no, 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 wait, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. And fair enough. Dylan Hunt uh, uh, D'Souza gets him wrong several times on what his views are. But I think if Dill Hunty were sitting here, if he corrected me at this point, what he might say is, ah, that's true. There is a lot at stake with climate change, and you should jump on board. And there is a lot at stake with the religion question, but you shouldn't necessarily jump on board. And the reason is because... With the climate thing, we've got science on this. And over here with the God thing, we, we don't have science on this or anything like science. Now, again, what do we see? Now, the stakes are higher on the God thing than they are on the climate thing. But what, but what is the reason over here with the God thing that, that he won't accept it? It's because his epistemology is structured such that he cannot accept the sorts of things that would get into God over here with the philosophical stuff. And by the way, there are plenty of uh, intelligent design advocates who would tell you there are a lot of inferences, inferences from science that are over here. So let's not let's not play any games about, well, I'm, that, those people just aren't interested in science. We've got plenty of scientifically interested advocates for theism over here on our side, too. But... Um, but that's, that's what's going on. And so over here, Hunt is saying, look, I, I, the evidence is conflicting. I don't know what to do. I'm going to sit here with, I don't know. Over here, D'Souza's saying, look, there there's conflicting science on this too. We've got uh, earlier in the discussion, and I encourage you to go back and listen to it. D'Souza's saying, look, there's this woman who's the world's foremost authority on polar bears. And she's saying now there's more polar bears now than there ever has been before. And that goes against the narrative that we hear from climatologists. And you've got the advocates, the apostles for climate change, like the Obamas uh, buying ocean. Front property and Martha's Vineyard and things like that, and that seems like that th- they know it's BS or whatever. So, so he's I've got this conflicting evidence. I don't, I, you know. So so I'm skeptical of this climate change business. And what we have is here a clashing of of two seemingly very similar situations, and the and the difference is an epistemological issue. You say, well, then that means that you're saying that D'Souza's wrong too. Well, we would have to look at the science on both sides of that thing because there it is a clash of science, but what if D'Souza is wrong? What if the climate change thing is a legitimate thing? I don't know much about that, but I'll tell you this much. As a Christian theist, I actually think that God gave us this cosmos and we should take care of the earth as much as we can. We should we should be very con- environmentally concerned, not to the exclusion of human, uh, the, the uh, prosperity of human, or the I guess the flourishing, the, the well being of human beings, but at the same time, I think we should take care of our planet. And a lot of the things that they say we should do so that to, to solve the climate change problem, regardless of whether or not climate change is a real thing, I think are good practices because I think we ought to take care of the planet. So I have absolutely no dog in that fight. This is the problem when things get politicized. When issues get politicized, it becomes very, very difficult to actually get to the truth because the, the, the truth about it coming through the science The science, the researchers are funded. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's reality. They are funded. It becomes difficult to know for sure uh, how biased they were. But let's say none of them are biased. It comes to, we become aware of that information through the media and through politicians. And there, there is a lot of bias. And so it, it gets tough. It gets tough. So, you know, I hate that this has been politicized. But regardless of what the truth is, I got no dog in that fight. What I want for people to do is to look at the evidence, and if it's scientific evidence, great. If it's philosophical evidence, great. If it's historical evidence, great. The, the truth about it is I want both of these guys to look at the evidence. That's what I want. And not discriminate against the types of evidence that would get you conclusions that you wouldn't enjoy. Not saying that that's what Dillahunty is consciously doing, but his epistemology is structured such that the kinds of things that would get you to God are called away. All right, now... Um, Let's take a look uh, at now. D- D'Souza then tries two other approaches. He says, "All right, look, you're focusing on all this scientific data, and Dill Hunty, yeah, science is the most reliable way to come to truth, whatever." And so, um, so D'Souza then is like, "All right, let me point you to some things that we all know are real, that cannot be accessed scientifically, that are not the, pur- you know, uh, that are not in the purview of science." And he starts with morality. This is pretty interesting.
2: But, but, but I, all, the only point I'm trying to make in a roundabout way is that as humans, we are inherently moral beings. Uh, morality is part of the equipment of being human. And in fact, it's, it's a necessary part. In our criminal law, for example, if somebody is considered not to know the difference between right and wrong, we don't even hold them accountable for their actions, which is to say, we consider well, that's morality. That's true. That's not true? Yeah. If somebody, let's say, for example, some guy is so insane that he thinks he's Napoleon, and he goes out and kills somebody
1: else. We still hold them responsible for their actions. We just have graduated to a point where we are killing fewer people who are of diminished mental capacity, thankfully. Right. Uh, but we are also committing people to institutions for their own benefits. But it's not like you just walk in and say, ah, blameless. Well, I-
0: Hold up. It's not like we don't consider, it's like uh, blameless. Here's the thing. Dillahunty's right that we do still hold people accountable, um, even if they have uh, diminished mental capacities. He's right about that. However, the truth is that they are not praiseworthy or blameworthy. In fact, no one is on Dillahunty's scheme because Dillahunty is a determinist. And one thing that um, rationality rules and cosmic skeptic and several uh, atheist philosophers, I have them in my notes. I was going to bring them up in my debate with Hunty because we talked about free will. Dill is a determinist. And on determinism, you can hold people accountable, but you cannot hold them praiseworthy or blameworthy. So this is where your morality begins to crumble apart. Dillahunty recognizes that uh, there's something to say about morality. He thinks he can construct a subjective morality that then can function somewhat objectively. But the fact is, this whole thing falls apart because you can't live as though that's true. And we've just heard from Dillahunty's own words, they're they're still blameworthy. We still hold those people blameworthy. You can't hold them blameworthy. You can punish them, you can uh, send them to rehab, you can send them to therapy, but you can't hold them blameworthy. This is not a livable worldview. D'Souza tries purpose.
1: I, I, I couldn't agree more that we should understand ourselves. And I think that one of the biggest problems is that there are a number of assumptions that the biggest problem humans make is probably asking the wrong questions like, what's the purpose of my life? As if it was externally imposed and extant as a real thing that you could discover, rather than I make my own meaning and purpose in life. But we're talking about this moral being. I would presume- wait, wait. I
2: mean, you, you just made a, an absolutely ridiculous statement. So I, oh, I, good. I have to stop, pause a little bit here because I'm sort of fine, grasping this. You make this. a ridiculous statement well, and i to, to do you, the same thing, yeah. According to you, we don't have a life purpose. I mean, let's think about it. First of all, almost all of us are, in some sense, trying to discover what the purpose of our life is, right? And there are huge industries devoted to this. There are talk shows devoted to this. There's a oh, so the, the, it's a quest that just about all of us, probably most of us in the audience, are on. And you're declaring at the outset that it's a it's it is a quest, according to you, that has no
1: answer, or at least has no external answer? No, I, I, it is a quest that I don't see any reason to think that there is an externally imposed purpose. The fact that you might desire there to be the, a, a god and divine or a universe-imposed purpose doesn't mean there is one. The fact that humans quest for things doesn't mean that the answer is there, or doesn't mean that the answer they hope for is there. Of course not.
2: So we're not, no one is saying that the, the wish to have a purpose is enough. No, I'm not even saying that the universe is
1: somehow... What is our purpose?
2: Well, I, I would say this, that, that I think in life, we are always asking this question. Um, um,
0: By the way, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever.
2: I, Dinesh, living the best life that I can live in other words is the life i'm living now somehow off track inauthentic is there when i when i say something is there there's me saying it but is there a better me that would have said something different in other words i agree okay so in other words the, my quest to find not only the choices i make but the choices i ought to make
1: is completely valid true so th- there's a contextual thing. Th- this is where we got with the, the, the labels and how we end up looking at this. Yeah. Um, I'm, my view is that my life has whatever meaning and purpose, I give it. OK. The notion that I should be looking for some externally imposed purpose is not only, not only do I not have a good reason to think that there is such a purpose or that there would be or could be.
2: And you're saying, but whatever answer you give to that question of what is, let's take what is the purpose of Matt's life? And you're saying, whatever answer you give, valid yes
1: because if in fact there is some god who has a purpose for my life i don't care what his he thinks my the purpose of my life should be my life is mine okay let's let's explore that
2: let's just say that you were to come here and announce to this audience the purpose of my life matt is to i realize this is a difficult example i was going to say to count the hairs on my head this doesn't really work in your case there there Uh, are hairs here on my head right there you you go my head there you go there you go okay but you said, that's what I live for. Every day I wake up and I spend a few hours a day, at least in at time of not working or eating, counting the hairs on my beard. Yeah. Right? Now, I would submit that everybody here would say, Matt, you know what? I don't think you're living your best life, pal. You know,
1: there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but it's kind of pointless. Can you, can you show that, that this isn't the purpose of my life? that there is some other purpose?
2: Well, uh, yes, I would. I mean, I, I, think I, I, th- I think I could make arguments to that effect. Okay. Let's pursue the example even further, make it more ridiculous so we can see how obvious it Let's just say, for example, and you know, I'm, I don't mean to be going into the trans territory, but I'm, I'm going to go there a little bit. Let's say I were to say, I identify as a toad. Okay. Okay? And so what I do is I get up in the morning and I start jumping around like a toad. Um, And for a while people go, "Eh, that guy's an eccentric, man. What the hell is he doing? And then I go, listen, it's not just up to me. I'm getting a little annoyed that there are all these haters out there who don't respect my identity as a toad. Disney won't cast me in toad races in their movies. I don't get, I'm denied rights under the Constitution. Uh, All these people look down on me and make jokes when I come, you know, jumping by. Okay? So, and my point is not that I've decided to become a toad. My point is I've always been a toad. I'm just a toad in a human body. Okay, now, and I seriously press this. You would come to me, I think, and say, Dinesh, you know, you are a member of Homo sapiens. You're not actually a toad. This purpose of your life that you have ascribed to yourself is based on some deep psychological disorders. You have very poor self-perception of who you are as a human being. And who you are as a human being is you're a son, you're a brother, you're a graduate of an Ivy League college and you make movies. You know, go do those things and find a better, a higher purpose in life than jumping around in a dirty pond.
1: You think that's what I would come to you and say? I hope so.
2: <laughs> Unless you, uh, I hope so. You may.
1: Uh, no. You you might come you might come join me. Because <laughs> first of all, I'm not a busybody who worries about what other people do and how they feel and what their views no, are. Oh, that's not. It's not. But, but also.
2: Uh, but that, that's not. But-
0: OK, this is Matt's chance to, to sermonize about trans issues, which got no interest in going there. But but as it relates to purpose, I, w- I want you to notice that um, D'Souza is making a very valid point here. This is this is his moment. This is a great analogy that actually makes a really good point. If he were to say, look, uh, my purpose is to count the hairs on my head or my purpose is to bounce around like a toad and be a toad because I think I'm a toad and all those kind of things. And you were to say, hey, none of my business. Now, okay, if you're the general public, maybe. But if you know him, if you're a friend of his, and you say, hey, none of my business. If he wants to be a toad, have at it, be a toad. If he's really living as though he's a toad, hopping everywhere and doing all kinds of things that are, or spends every day only counting the hairs on his chin or his head or whatever, you are not being, and this brings us back to the issue of morality, you are being immoral towards him. You should actually go to him and say what Dinesh said you should say. Hey, listen, man, you know, I get that you think you're a toad. I get you think your purpose is to count hair all day on your own head. But you get one life, and you should spend that life doing something more meaningful. Of course, that presupposes that there is meaning. And the the idea is you should—and here's the thing. Even with the sermonizing about all these other ideas and issues— You can sound real gallant in sermonizing about how it's perfectly acceptable to let leave someone in their delusion that they're a toad. But the reality of it is you have no moral standing for that because you don't have an objective morality. You have a morality that is your opinion or the opinion of a group of people, perhaps your tribe. And I might agree with your moral inclinations, but the reality is on your worldview, you can sound as indignant as you want and it rings hollow because there's nothing underneath it, no foundation. But back to the issue at hand, you should say to someone who's counting hairs on their head or living as a toad, you're not living the best, (laughs) oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this, you're not living your best life now. How you define best life is the important thing, but you're not living the best. And the idea that there is a better life indicates that there is a standard of the best life. And we want to get you to that standard, but it would be unloving actually to leave someone in a state of delusion about those things where they're going to end up hurting themselves, not going to advance and miss out on some of the great joys of life because they're living out a delusion. That is, you can make that sound as gallant as you want to. That is unloving toward people. If you really love people, you will call them to a higher purpose. Thing is, you have to have an awareness of a higher purpose. And so I think this one, this, I think this was a hit. I think you made it here. Now, um, lastly, let's go to the end here. I want to see this last clip. This will be it. But uh, let's let's see what happens uh, next.
2: I'll try to illuminate the point by pivoting into politics, because I think that sometimes when we talk about God and religion, we we establish sort of special distinctions and categories that are not normal in everyday life. So I'm going to throw out a bunch of beliefs. Okay. I believe it's likely that Trump will be re-elected. I do too. Uh, I believe that if Bernie were elected the day after, the stock market would take a severe hit.
1: As a more severe hit than it has in the last couple of days?
2: Probably. Because, because, because Bernie would be a walking virus for four years.
1: I, I, I um, don't believe that. But that doesn't mean that I'm convinced you're wrong. Correct.
2: So what I'm getting at here is now, again, Uh, I'm I'm making these statements of, I believe, I believe that if if Trump is reelected, the market will do well over four years. Uh, But when I say these things, I'm making, I'm stating beliefs anchored in my knowledge of politics. There's there's no empirical fact that I'm leaving out. And it would mean no objection to these beliefs for you to say to me somehow, Dinesh, uh, my position on this is actually rather Jesuitical. I draw a distinction between warranted belief and beliefs that are ultimately don't have sufficient warrant, I would say, we're talking about the future, Matt. None of us knows, I grant that. In that sense, it resembles life after death. We're, we're plugging in all the data we have and we're making a judgment about something that affects our life, just like life after death does, we have to act upon it because we have investments and portfolios. We have to cast our own vote. So we're going to make decisions about the future based on what we think is going to happen. My belief is is in no way irrational because I cannot have either certitude about it or I don't have the kind of empirical evidence that would enable me, in some senses, to declare the belief warranted. It is
1: warranted so first of all here we go again Uh, I don't disagree the thing is is that you're making you have beliefs about what's likely to happen in the in the economic and political realm and you base it on actual data I, I have no objection to that at all but this I think gets to the heart of where and how you and I are dramatically different not just in epistemology and what may or may not warrant uh, believing in something without evidence, because I can't imagine uh, both acknowledging, I have no evidence, but I believe it anyway. Uh, that's not the same thing as what we're talking about now. You have a lot of evidence. You have market research. You have other information. You know what's likely to happen. You know where the majority of, of people are, uh, you know, what, what they're looking forward to. Here's, here's the marked difference between the two of us. At every instance tonight, when we, when we got to something that was potentially um, political, or that was about policy you went to money where are they spending their money are they building this on okay
0: the point here is if i'm de souza this is where i think de souza kind of drops it again if i remember correctly is if i'm de souza what am i going to say same thing with the papua new guinea thing i've come up with this analogy i've presented you this analogy I'm projecting things about the stock market based on what I know about politics and what I know about economics and what I know about all these kind of things. And I'm taking all that data together. I've got a lot of evidence and then I'm making a statement about what's in the future or what's likely to be in the future. Yes, and when it comes to God and when it comes to Christianity, I'm taking all this evidence. I've got this uh, uh, contingency argument. I've got this design argument. I've got this moral argument. I've got this Kalam argument. I've got this ontological argument. I've got this resurrection argument. I- I've got uh, these you know, near-death experiences. I've got... Um, whatever whatever else you want, the rapid expansion of the early church. I've got all these kind of things. Put all that together into one package. I've got all this data, all this evidence. I've got my own personal experience. I've got the testimonies of, of others. And I take all that together and I project what's going to happen in the future. <laughs> you know what we call that in, in Christianity? We call that faith. Not faith based on nothing. The colloquial definition of faith that Aaron Raw doesn't understand and that a thousand or more YouTube atheists, more than a thousand, echo raw. if it's not you, then don't be upset that I said that. No, it's trust or loyalty to God that he's gonna do for us in the future what he say he would do based on what we have good reason to believe he's done in the past and is doing now. So the two are the same. So with the Papua New Guinea thing, I'm gonna look at Matt and say, yes, I have really good evidence to believe there's a Papua New Guinea even though I've never been there. And I have really good evidence to believe there's a God in a place called heaven, even though I've never been there. Uh, 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 yeah, I uh, you're uh, you're saying that I that I shouldn't remain in a state of skepticism because uh, there, there's all this evidence for global warming, and so I, I shouldn't remain in the skeptic. I should make a decision because there's stuff at stake. Yes, and I'm telling you that there is a lot at stake, and there's all this evidence. And when it comes down here to this thing at the end again, like the Papua New Guinea. Yeah, I've got all this evidence about the economics in the future, and I have all this evidence about the truth about Christianity and what God's going to do in the future. Um, There is a parallel. What I would say to Dillahunty is don't close yourself off by structuring your epistemology such that certain lines of evidence that would take you to theism and to Christianity don't count or are discriminated against or are considered second-class evidences. And to D'Souza, I would say, grant the scientific evidence where, where where you, you know, accept the evidence that comes to us from science. And then on top of that, understand the great evidence that we have for the truth of Christianity. And that's basically how I think this whole thing plays out. It's an enjoyable discussion. I encourage you to go listen to the rest of it. But um, for now, this has been a long video. I appreciate you making it to the end. Help us out on Patreon if you can. If you're the kind of person that would buy me a cup of coffee or Jonathan a cup of coffee, if you were in town once a month, then maybe give us five bucks on Patreon or something. Um, But if you don't, we'll love you and we'll keep producing video content just the same. Glad you're here and we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.